Thank you, Eileen, and, uh, and thank you, John. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thanks very much for coming along, um, and uh, indeed, thank you to the, the speaker and to the, the RAISE team for putting together uh, this timely seminar series. Um, as John says, he's very helpfully given an overview of a, a snapshot of public opinion towards different aspects of the institutions of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. And this has been based on, on survey evidence from a representative sample of, of the population. And to pick up where uh, John has just left off, uh, my colleagues Sean Hockey and I will now share the findings of um, our project on public attitudes towards possible reforms to power sharing specifically. Um, and these are based on a deliberative forum, uh, which I'll explain in just a moment how it worked. Um, and at the outset, I'd like to acknowledge our funder for the project, uh, the, the DFA's Reconciliation Fund, um, and then it was independently led and organised by Sean and myself. So one way to explore public opinion is to carry out a survey, as John described, um, taking a large representative sample of the population, asking them a series of questions in a short interview and using their responses to generalise about what the full population would, would think. Um, and this kind of information is clearly very useful, um, as we have just seen, but they don't necessarily tell us everything. Um, and they themselves can raise some further questions which we can probe further. Um, for one thing, uh, people might not necessarily be expected to know very much about the details of the, the things that they're being asked um, about. Um, and that's certainly the case with aspects of the way government works you know, in Northern Ireland or in any context. You know, it's, it's quite a high expectation to have of a lot of people to, to be um, informed about um, the, the way institutions work or could work differently. Um, and another potential issue with standard opinion polls alone is that they may not tell us much beneath the surface. So in other words, why are people holding the views that, that they are holding towards uh, different institutions? What are the, the more, what are the nuances that might be under the, the surface? So for those reasons, and to complement the, the rich survey evidence that we have, uh, we held a deliberative forum uh, which uh, was facilitated with, by colleagues at the survey company Ipsos. Um, and the deliberative forum involved bringing together a cross-section of the population. So unlike the 2,000 people that were in the previous survey that you heard about, this time it was a, a group of 50 people who were recruited to, to this smaller scale event. Um, so it's, it's too small a sample to draw the kind of statistical inferences from, uh, but the goal here was to, to bring a, a diverse group of people, so broadly reflective of the, the makeup of the broader Northern Ireland population uh, based on the, the census. So looking like Northern Ireland in terms of gender, age, socioeconomic group, community background, and political identity. And the table here, you may not be able to see the, the small numbers, but it just gives you a snapshot of what the full population looks like and what our sample looked like. So pretty, pretty similar in the, the breakdown. Now, we didn't ask our participants on this day, a Saturday from March last year, we didn't ask them about every possible um, aspect of, of uh, Northern Ireland's devolved institutions and how they could be uh, organised differently. Uh, instead, we focused on a very specific aspect of uh, the system and how it could be changed, um, and that is the question of government formation. Uh, so whether or not the current model of government formation 
should be maintained uh, or reformed in some way. Um, and the current model that, that we have is um, what we could think of as a, a maximal type of, of power-sharing government, often described as mandatory coalition, in which any party uh, with a certain number of seats in the Assembly is guaranteed a place um, based on the size of their, their mandates. And we then uh, considered two possible alternatives, the first one being a so-called voluntary coalition model, um, in which parties would have complete freedom to negotiate amongst themselves, as, as John uh, described, and as happens in many other European uh, democracies, they themselves negotiate who uh, should, among them should be in government. And then another option uh, we presented was what we referred to as qualified voluntary coalition, uh, which would also allow the parties themselves, agency, negotiation, uh, to, to form a government amongst themselves, but that there would be some additional rules to, to require uh, cross-community inclusion in any government. Uh, so you could think of the, the first alternative as being the most radical departure from the current model, and then the second uh, alternative being something in between the, the, the current system and pure voluntary coalition. So what did this deliberative forum entail on the day? Well, the first half of the event uh, focused on the, the system as it is. Um, so, assuming that people don't know too much about uh, these issues, um, as uh, we wouldn't necessarily expect them to, to be familiar with all the details, so we wanted to equip them, give them some uh, basic information about the way the current system of government information works in Northern Ireland based on, on the agreement and, and some of the relevant uh, changes that have been made along the way. Um, so there was a short animation video to, to set the scene, provide that kind of basic factual evidence. After this anim animation video, uh, we then had our first expert speaker, uh, Joanne McAvoy from the University of Aberdeen, to provide an overview of the, in more detail of, of the, the current system, the relative strengths and weaknesses of the, the current form of power sharing. Um, and then after this, um, after receiving information, then it was over to the participants then to, in small groups, about six or seven, each facilitated by a trained uh, moderator from, from Ipsos. Uh, they then discussed these, these issues, what they had just heard, their reactions in, in more, more depth, thinking about what they thought the strengths of the, the current way of doing things are, as well as what some of the, the limitations might be. And then after a, a break, then the second half of the day, then... Um, mirrored the, the structure of the, the first in many ways, except then this was focusing on the possible alternatives to the status quo. So again, there was another short animation video to, to set up these, these alternatives with some basic factual information. And then uh, for this session, Professor John Tong was the, the expert speaker to provide an, an overview of the two alternatives as we've uh, presented them and considered the relative strengths and weaknesses of each of them in turn. And same again, the participants then went into their small group discussions, talked about the, uh, the relative strengths and weaknesses of what they had just heard, and, and to think then a bit more clearly this time about should uh, we basically keep the, the current system as it is, or are there merits towards either of these two alternatives that they had, had just considered? And at this point then, I'm going to hand over to Sean, and he's going to talk through 
what people said in the, both in their discussions and we also asked them some survey uh, questions before and after so that we can monitor any change in their attitudes based on, on learning and discussing the issues. So over to Sean. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, and I'll, I'll echo Jimmy's sentiments in um, thanking the Assembly and Eileen in particular for, for organising this series and, and for the invitation to talk about the research. Um, so I'll get stuck in then to the main findings of uh, the forum. So as Jamie explained, in the first part of the day, we focused on the institutional status quo, right, mandatory coalition. Um, and we began by, or the facilitators began by asking the participants what they think the main strengths are of, of the institutional status quo. And by far and away, across all of the different discussion groups, um, the same two points were made, although um, the language varied a little bit. First, that um, the status quo has presided over a sustained period of relative peace since 1998. Um, and often you would have had older participants contrasting what happened before 1998 in terms of violence and the troubles to what happened after it, um, and, and crediting the institutions in some way um, for that period of peace since then. Um, and then secondly, people like that um, the, the current system of, of coalition formation is maximally inclusive. Um, so they talked about that inclusivity in terms of Northern Ireland's different political parties or uh, in terms of um, different community representations in the, in the executive. Um, so this gentleman says, for example, um, no one can be excluded from it. Is this clicker working? Yeah, it is. Um, no one can be excluded from it. Now, these are important, very important benefits, of course, um, but we got the sense from reading the transcripts uh, that beyond these two important and interrelated benefits, participants generally struggled to cite any further benefits of the current system. Um, and there was a sense of frustration um, that devolution and that the current model of devolution um, had not delivered more. And some participants seem to suggest that because there is peace, people are prepared to put up with a lot of weaknesses um, in the model. And younger participants in particular seem to express that frustration. Um, so people said things like, the only advantage is peace. Someone else said, I suppose it's better than nothing. So a pretty low bar um, against which to judge the institutional status quo. When we moved on um, to talk about the weaknesses of uh, the current model, people had a lot more to say. And we summarised in the report um, the, the weaknesses of mandatory coalition in terms of three broad frustrations. Uh, the first is that it's very susceptible to collapse, so people don't like, by far and away this is the main complaint, so people don't like how fragile the system is. Um, and that one party is able to walk away and precipitate a collapse of the entire system. And that wasn't a party political point, you know, that was made about two, the two parties that have collapsed um, the, the institutions. Secondly, uh, a major frustration is that when we do have government, the executive itself isn't very cohesive. Um, people don't particularly like that, although for all intents and purposes, these ministers of different political parties are supposed to be part of the same team and supposed to be part of the same government. 
that there are quite a few public disagreements, um, ministers undermining the positions of, of other ministers. And people didn't just raise that because it's, it's unseemly to have ministers of the same government disagreeing with one another. They related it to the practical problems that that will create in a society. So they said it takes longer for legislation to be passed, decisions on public policy are more complicated, and as a result, education suffers, um, the health service suffers, um, and so on. And then thirdly, there is a perceived dominance of um, identity politics or a perceived dominance of green and orange politics in these institutions. And that wasn't just a, a critique of behaviour, that was an institutional critique, and that was particularly voiced by people from the neither community. So people who identified as neither nationalist nor unionist thought that there's too much precedence afforded to securing agreement between unionists and nationalists. Um, and I thought that this uh, gentleman summed that up pretty well when he said, cross-community power sharing is not the be-all and end-all. What if you're not part of the unionist or nationalist groups? What if you see yourself as just bang in the middle? Uh, their voice is less heard. The focus is always on, can we get the unionists and nationalists to agree? Um, so plenty of criticisms of the institutional status quo. We then moved on in the, uh, the second part of the day to look at our um, first alternatives. Um, and the first alternative that we looked at was a simple voluntary coalition. So a no holds barred coalition. It's completely up to the parties to form whatever government they want. Um, after an election. Um, and I will not talk about this in, in much depth uh, in this presentation. Suffice to say that some people recognise potential benefits of that, but the conversations uh, within the different discussion groups suggested that people would be nervous about a simple voluntary coalition. And I think, in, I looked at the transcript yesterday, I think in pretty much all of the discussion groups there was a fear or an anxiety about a return to majority rule. So particularly among older participants who maybe had ex lived experience of the Troubles, um, they thought that cross-community, some form of cross-community power sharing in the executive um, was key. People said that you know, the idea or the prospect of majority rule, so a government that was exclusively unionist or a government that was exclusively nationalist, they said that that was scary or it could be destabilising. Some people thought it could even lead to unrest, which I, I must admit did take me by surprise. Um, but people expressed these sentiments and they expressed them um, quite strongly. Um, and I, I, we make the point in the, um, in the report that this worry or this concern um, did tend to be expressed by some older participants. And in particular, it was expressed by participants from a nationalist background. Um, but it does have to be said that some participants from other communities also thought that if there was a prospect of majority rule, um, that that would be problematic. And I know that, you know, in terms of the parliamentary arithmetic, you know, unionism doesn't have the numbers to form a majority government. Neither does nationalism, and neither does the neithers. But I think that the, the detail is by the by. That the, the point is that people have these anxieties, um, and I think they need to be uh, taken seriously. So we then moved on to talk about um, the, the second alternative, the, the qualified voluntary coalition. And as, as Jamie pointed out, uh, when we explained this in terms of the presentations and, and the video, we said that it wouldn't be possible with a qualified voluntary coalition to have 
a single community government, that there would be some kind of safeguard in place to ensure um, elements of cross-community representation. And I think that managed to assuage most people's concerns, and with that concern out of the way, people seem to be much more open about discussing the potential benefits of having a system like this. Um, and we summarise those benefits in the report in terms of, and this uh, dovetails nicely with, with what John was saying, people like the idea of a clear system of government and opposition. And then there were related benefits to that. So people thought that if there was a clear system of government and opposition, and that there was a full-time opposition, that there would be more uh, rigorous scrutiny of the executive. And people also thought that if there were fewer parties in the executive, right? because with a, a QVC model, um, you're going to have some parties in government and some parties in opposition, um, there would be fewer parties in the government, and they might find it easier to secure agreement. They might be less, the, the executive might be less fractious. It might be easier to coordinate with fewer parties uh, in the executive. So a few positives, quite a few positives actually, were um, articulated about this, this QVC model, um, which some people have seen as a, um, a halfway house between mandatory coalition and a pure voluntary um, coalition. Um, some people called it a stepping stone. Some people thought it was a, a transition to a more, quote, normal form of government that would put Northern Ireland more um, into line with, with the other devolved regions of the UK. Now, that said, uh, people were also articulating some potential weaknesses with this model. Some people weren't sold on it. Um, and I think some of the observations that our participants made were, were sensible. Um, some people pointed out that, and this was a, an interesting observation, um, that if particular parties were excluded from an executive, that people may struggle to accept that as democratic. I'm not talking about the exclusion of a particular community. We're talking about the exclusion of particular parties. Um, there were two expressions of that. Some people said, well, if you have a government and Sinn Féin aren't in it, that's not going to be democratic. Other people said, if you have a government and the DUP aren't in it, that's not going to be democratic. Um, now, that is an unusual observation because, you know, in other coalition systems, some of the big parties sometimes are in government, sometimes they're in opposition. But such was the, um, the argument made by some of our participants. Others thought about the, practicals, the practicalities um, and wondered whether our parties would do well forming a coalition agreement themselves. So, you know, with, with um, mandatory coalition, you run the hunt. Everyone's in the government. It's formed almost immediately. But with this model, the government would be negotiated. There would be horse trading between the different political parties um, after the election. And some people wondered whether that would take weeks or months or if that would go on forever. And then finally, um, and I, I think this is a pretty perceptive observation, we didn't define what the safeguard would be. We kept it pretty um, open-ended. Not to confuse people, there's different ways that you could have a qualified voluntary coalition. I'd be happy to talk about it in the Q&A. I mean, we don't have a magic formula. But we kept it open-ended and ambiguous. And some people asked, what do you mean by qualified? You know, the criteria that you use could be manipulated. Um, someone said de determining what qualified means could be, could be difficult um, and open to corruption. So while people did see some positives in a, a QVC scenario, there were probably just as many negatives that were advocated um, by our participants.
So at the end of our event, um, we asked people in our survey to rate um, how far they would support the different models. And, and naively, I thought that we would come out with a clear favourite and we would be able to recommend to the world that this is the way to fix Northern Ireland. Um, a clear favourite did not emerge. There were those three models and people could, could um, rank how far they supported them, I think on a scale of zero to seven or, or one to seven, where seven was the most supportive. Um, and we didn't get a clear uh, favourite. The pure or simple voluntary coalition, um, that was the least supported option. But beyond that, there was identical levels of support expressed for mandatory coalition and the qualified voluntary coalition. And when I say identical levels of support, I mean right to the decimal place, um, which initially was a little bit frustrating because it would, have, it would have been simpler for us to write the report if it was one, two, three. But I think that does reflect that people recognise that there's no panacea here, that regardless of the institutional model, it's going to come um, with some drawbacks. And I was surprised about how well or how relatively well mandatory coalition scored, because if you'd have listened to the first half of our event, it was battered. Everyone was laying into it. And then we looked at the alternative models and what the, the shortcomings of that might be in the second half. And people, some people scored it relatively well. And we almost named our report Better the Devil You Know, because that phrase came up in several separate discussion groups. People, and you can trace this through the transcripts, people who were laying into mandatory coalition at the start, at the end, seemed a bit uncertain about abandoning it. So there is, there is a, a fear of the unknown, and I think there is a job of work to do if this debate about institutional reform is going to continue. There's a job of work to do about having an informed debate about institutional reform. You just can't ask people, should we change the system without explaining what the alternatives might do. Um, and then finally, we, I mean, we did get clarity of sorts in that before the event, we asked people in the survey, um, similar to the, the question that, that John asked, or John referred to in his survey about the governance structures of the GFA. Um, are they fine as they are? Do they need some changes? Do they need substantial changes? Or should they be binned? And the, the Navy bars are pre-survey. And as you can see, none of those options um, go over 50%. So the, the, there's a spread of opinion across those options. But after the survey, nearly 70% of people coalesce around the idea that whilst the GFA structures remain the best basis for governing Northern Ireland, they require some change in order to work better. So there is a kind of general popular support for institutional reform. But when you get into the nitty-gritty and the specifics the picture becomes um, a lot more complicated. And I'll pass back over to Jamie. So very, very briefly then, um, just as a final consideration, um, just to quickly think then about the question of how any reform could or should come about. Um, and this was the, the last thing that we asked the, the participants to, to, to give us their thoughts on at the, the end of the session. So admittedly, we didn't go into too much depth about what the these different uh, forms of um, involvement might be, but it was just to, to get a sense of what people thought should come next, if, if anything. So unsurprisingly, um, high levels of support for MLAs to be behind any reform, for, and including cross-community consent among MLAs at that. Also unsurprisingly, 
although slightly lower levels of support for the British government and the Irish government to uh, be supportive of any reform. Uh, but most strikingly is we had also given the option uh, to people um, of the extent to which they agreed or disagreed that any reforms uh, should only um, be implemented after being endorsed in a, in a referendum. And we see that that has a, a very high level of support and a strong level of support at that. So, uh, over 60% very important um, for people that a referendum is, is held to endorse any changes, with a further 20% saying that it would be somewhat important for that to happen as a condition for uh, reforms to be implemented. Um, and similarly, um, with a citizens' assembly idea, so lower levels of people thinking that it would be very important, but adding the very important to the somewhat important uh, categories together, it's still about two-thirds that think that a citizens' assembly uh, should be uh, in place to recommend a, a reform, or that it would be important for that to be the case. Um, so, those findings, I would suggest, would tap into some appetite among the public for, for pretty strong consultation in whatever comes next. Um, so, the participants of, of this session were, were pretty aware that, as a one-day event, um, and having discussed just one slice of the, the, the jigsaw of, of possible institutional reform, uh, many participants left the, the session with, with a sense then that there's a lot to still unpack here, that this was in many ways scratching the surface, but, but it's still in a way that can, can still give us pretty interesting insights. But more broadly speaking, there seemed to be quite a lot of appetite by the end of, of that day that, that that shouldn't be the end of a, a conversation involving members of the public in how Northern Ireland's institutions are, are, are uh, operating, uh, but that this should be, be taken further in any more formalised uh, reform debate. So I'll leave it there uh, and we'll be very happy to, to answer any questions. And one final plug then, if you do want to uh, get into the details of anything that we've just discussed, uh, there is the, the report itself is, is there in full in, in, uh, online and there are some copies uh, outside that you can uh, you're very welcome to, to take a look at too. So thanks very much and look forward to the discussion.